Hey everyone, it's Marielle. And before we get to the show, I want to warn you. What you are about to hear contains explicit language, adult themes, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Women of Death Row. In your ears is Amanda. That's me. I'm Marielle. We're doing my story today. But first, round of applause for Kamala. Kamala Harris. It's Kamala. Kamala? Kamala. Kamala? Yep. Right on. So, yes. All right. Anyways... I shall get to my story now. Let's do it. Oh, wait. Just so everybody knows, in case they haven't heard, Kamala was chosen for Biden's vice president on the ticket. And uh, anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) All righty. Thank you, Murderpedia, for giving me access to all this information. This is a story that we have recorded, Mm. but it was when we were still in our trial phase. Mm. So, today I will be telling you the story about... Can I guess? Yeah, go ahead and guess. Mickey McDermott. Yeah! All right. So, her nickname was Mickey. Mickey McDermott was born May 15th, 1947 in Wildwood, New Jersey. She was born into a working class family. She was the third of four children and the only girl. Her father was an alcoholic who was often away from home, either drinking or working. He was at times verbally abusive, but she says he was never physically abusive. She's very close to her mother or was her mom was, Deeply religious and a uh, damn it. There's a way to Tito Tito Taylor Tito Taylor. There's a what? Tito Taylor is how it's spelled, but I know that's not how it's pronounced. It's like someone who refuses alcohol. Tito Taylor Tito Taylor. I don't know. Fuck it. Spell it. T e e t o a l e r. Titoler. Titoler. Tito. Oh yeah, Titoler. Titoler. Totaler, totaler. <laughs> <laughs> her mom was one of those. She was a teetotaler. Teetotaler. Okay. Anyways, so her mom was that. <laughs> Mickey often sent small amounts of money home to her mother after she'd moved to California. So Mickey attended Catholic schools in New Jersey. She left high school before graduating and moved to California in 1968. She worked full-time while attending first adult night school for her high school diploma and then to become a respiratory therapist. She worked at St. Joseph's Medical Center in Burbank, California for seven years, Hmm. during which this time she also took college courses and attended Los Angeles County Medical Center Nursing School. She continued working at St. Joseph till she received her license as a registered nurse in 1979. Go girl. Yes. She was then employed at L.A. County 
University of Southern California Medical Center, USC Medical Center, Ward 3000, which was the infected orthopedics ward. Isn't that like bones and muscles or something? Orthopedic, yeah. Okay. Ow, infected orthopedics. Fuck. Yikes. Uh, this is where she first met Jimmy Luna, who was an orderly on her ward. Mm, scandalous. Yeah, Jimmy Luna. Luna? Mm-hmm. Like L-U-N-A. Mm-hmm. So M- Mickey was known to her co-workers to be very compassionate and generous and, quote, a soft touch. All her life, she was known for her love of animals. She had many pets. She loved to ride horses, and she cared for stories. <laughs> this girl. is not about me. <laughs> There's a lot of familiarities with this girl. I might have gotten confused in the document and started writing my own bio for something. Oh, wait. No, this is Mickey McDermott. Okay. Her colleagues at the hospital remain convinced of her innocence and said it was her naivete and generosity and her refusal to turn her back on a, quote, pathetic character like Jimmy Luna that caused her to be, quote, victimized by him. So Mickey listened to... Jimmy Luna's bullshit, like, sob stories on the phone, or I mean, at work and on the phone. She felt sorry for him, but didn't really socialize for him. I mean, with him. Mm -hmm. He was a compulsive phone caller who was reprimanded at work for making, like, literally hundreds of personal phone calls. Good Lord. Coworkers say Mickey was very conscientious and hardworking, kind, generous, caring and compassionate she cared about the quote underdog was an excellent nurse and was not someone who would harm another person so this is kind of like where it all begins mickey and another nurse martha espinosa had made plans to go to work in saudi arabia as nurses because i guess like in the early 80s many american nurses would make good money going to work in saudi arabia for a year or two interesting so Mickey had rented and then purchased a small house in Van Nuys, California in like about 1982. She met Stephen Elder Mm -hmm. Tadegaypar. Mickey is also a lesbian. She asked him if he would like to rent the house while she was away and to look after the property and her several pets. He suggested that instead he could buy into the property. After he made the suggestion numerous times, she finally like, was like, all right, thinking that he could take better care of the place if he was an owner. And never at any time did Eldridge harm or mistreat the pets. So he suggested that the two of them take out a $100,000 insurance policy to cover the mortgage in case something happened to Mickey while she was in Saudi Arabia. Hmm. Now, Jimmy Luna, a little bit of his backstory Jimmy was born in Los Angeles on May 7th, 1953 to two heroin addicts who abandoned him at an infancy. He was mm-hmm. taken by relatives who really didn't want to care for him. And he was like horribly abused emotionally, physically, sexually. So this childhood produced a quote, man who was consumed by rage and propelled by violence. Mm-hmm. As a child, he lied all the time. And when caught, he would just continue telling lies to cover them up. Mm-hmm. He cried often, particularly when he was lying. So, <laughs> <laughs> like a child. 
That's me if I get pulled over. <laughs> Some bullshit lie. Jimmy's adult life was marked by criminal and antisocial behavior. His behavior escalated from minor offenses to major crimes. He had many arrests, suicide attempts, drug overdoses, and a number of venereal diseases, including secondary syphilis. Good God. What's the difference between secondary syphilis and... Uh... First, there's it's, it's the second stage of syphilis, so it spreads to different parts of your body. Like, it starts to get into, like, your bloodstream and stuff. And then there's tertiary syphilis, which starts to impact your brain. I'm pretty sure. There's mm. three. There's phases. All right. So... He was hired to work as an el- orderly, I almost said an elderly. <laughs> he was cosplaying an elderly at LA <laughs> County Hospital. So he was an orderly through an affirmative action program, which I assume is because of his criminal record or something. I don't know. That could be total bullshit that someone threw in there. He was known on the job as a liar and a, quote, oddball. He was abusive and sadistic towards staff members and patients and was often violent. Why the fuck was he still there? Oops. Someone did a job. Mm. I guess. He was a compulsive phone caller, like we said. He juggled different (laughs) identities and different voices, often called himself Rita. God, what a weirdo. He also stalked people and told a psychotherapist that he was feeling, quote, uncontrollable rage that he had to beat up a girlfriend. Mm. During the early years of Luna's employment at the county hospital, he was trusted and liked by his peers. But during the last two years of his employment, his behaviors became frightening and erratic. Dr. Stuart Shanfield, a co-worker, described Luna as a strange and scary person. Luna made veiled threats of violence to his supervisors at Ward 3000. Wow. One nurse, Linda Spare, quit her job because of her fear of Luna after he physically assaulted her and slashed her tires on two separate occasions. Why the fuck was he still working there? Good fucking God. Martha Espinosa learned heard Luna threaten to kill Linda Spare for writing him up because he was late for work. He bragged to Maria that he'd been making crank phone calls to Spare in order to frighten her. During his tenure... Yeah, tenure? Yeah. Yeah. During his tenure at L.A. County Hospital, Luna was arrested four times for crimes including assault with a deadly weapon... Susan Merritt, who was an RN, recalled that at the hospital, Luna often acted as a, quote, lookout for drug-addicted patients. Mm. So this motherfucker was a, quote, lookout for drug-addicted patients and assisted them in having illicit drugs brought in from the outside. Mm. He stole a car belonging to another nurse, Eileen. He cursed at patients, threw things at them, and threatened them. How did this motherfucker get tenure? Great question. Not sure what they're... I mean, L.A. County. It's a county fucking hospital. So who fucking... I don't know. Luna always complained of being financially broke and borrowed money from many co-workers whom he never repaid. The only person who remained sympathetic towards him and continued to give him money was Mickey McDermott. 
She continued to feel sorry for him long after all the others had distanced themselves from him. Which, like, could probably be because, like, this is the 80s and she's a gay woman. And so she, you know, kind of understands, like, being... Like an outcast. Yeah. Maybe. She probably... She empath sounds like she had some form of empathy. Yeah. Fellow employees complained about Jimmy's bizarre and violent behavior, but it was impossible to fire him because of the affirmative action program and his membership in a union. Bullshit. This was the early 80s, right? Yeah. So in 1983, he was suspended from work for falsifying patients' vital signs. Wow. Yikes. What finally got him fired in 1985 was his abusive behavior towards patients and the discovery that he had lied on his employment application when he denied having a criminal record. Damn. Wow. They, I guess that, like they really could do background checks like they could now, I guess. Yeah, makes sense. Like, you call this one person, and who knows if it's the actual person on the other line. Right. Jimmy Luna told Martha Espinosa that Mickey would be, quote, abandoning him if she went to Saudi Arabia. And he said, who will take care of me if Mickey leaves? Jesus. Punk-ass motherfucker. Luna asked Mickey if he could take care of her house and animals when she went to Saudi Arabia, but she declined. She didn't trust him because he was known to be a habitual liar. Extremely unstable and unreliable. Yeah, his track record's not too... Yeah. His references suck. (laughs) Seriously. So, someone said... I don't know why it doesn't say who the fuck said this. I think it was this Dr. Philip Merritt who said that Jimmy skated frantically on the thin edge of his own mind, concocting fantastic stories, mimicking voices, pretending to be other people, and alternating between self-pitying depressions and manic bouts of feverish phone calling. Mm. Over the years, as his work deteriorated, his outrageous behavior escalated. Because Luna was such a twisted person, both in his illogical thinking and his threatening manner, when he found out that the mortgage and pol- insurance policy that Mickey had on her house is probably why he like plotted to kill her roommate because he thought she was coming into money and he would be able to like keep borrowing from her. The doctor always thought that he was psychotic and crazy enough to do something like that. Mm. So a few weeks before Stephen was murdered, Jimmy was evicted from his apartment for property damage and violence toward his neighbors He asked to borrow money from Mickey. At that time, she said she couldn't help him. Let's fast forward to the crime. So the first time Stephen Eldridge was assaulted was March 21st, 1985. Mickey had no reason to believe Luna was behind the attack. At that time, two men, one black, one Latino, came to the McDermott Eldridge house and attacked and brutalized Eldridge. The men took $35 and fled when the dog in the yard, quote, made a racket. Mm-hmm. LAPD officer David Yates, who was called to the scene, said the house wasn't ransacked and the incident wasn't consistent with a robbery. <laughs> it was later determined that this attack was made by Jimmy Luna. It was also determined that Luna had previously made similar attacks on other victims. So... Just after midnight on April 29th, 1985, three men, two black, one Latino, entered the house and murdered Stephen Eldridge. 
He was stabbed 44 times and his penis was cut off. Jimmy Luna put his penis in his pocket and took it home where he then like flushed it down a toilet. Good God. Right? So the night of the murder, Mickey planned that after taking a bath, she would go to Palm Springs to visit a friend. She got out of the tub, heard noises, opened the bathroom door, and saw three men with homemade masks on their faces. She was terrified and didn't look into their eyes. The two taller men were not wearing gloves, and she could see that they were both black men. The third shorter man was was wearing gloves, but she could see by a patch of wrist skin that he was white. But she didn't recognize him as Jimmy Luna because of the mask. Hmm. The men took Mickey to her bedroom, pushed her to the floor, cut her on the breast with a knife, and kicked or hit her head, causing her to lose consciousness. She came to eventually freed herself, and then she was confused and nauseated, called 911. She was taken to the hospital, and this is where she learned that Stephen Eldridge was dead. Mm. So during the interrogation, Maureen was taken to the police station for questioning wearing nothing but a thin skimpy hospital gown with no underwear and no garment for warmth. She was not allowed to put on her own clothes or shoes. And at the police station, she was tired, cold, frightened, still nauseated and in a state of shock. She was interrogated from 2 a.m. until night after 9 a.m. She was never able to go home after that, but stayed with friends from then on. Police didn't read her her rights, nor did they allow her to leave the police station that night, and no lawyer was present or suggested. That's illegal. Yeah, they totally infringed on her rights a few times here. She had no prior experience with police procedures or Miranda rights, so she just didn't know better. She was physically and emotionally damaged from the night's events, and in her weakened condition was vulnerable to police interrogation techniques. Mm -hmm. Over the next few weeks, she was interrogated many times by police. She always cooperated with them and soon realized they suspected her of being responsible for the murder. Detective Melvin Arnold told Mickey he wanted to believe she was innocent, but he thought the phone records made her look guilty. She told Arnold that Luna was a compulsive phone caller, that he was always on the phone at work and outside of work, and that she called Luna after the incident to tell him what happened because he claimed not to know. Hmm. That's a little suspicious that she would call him. She also told police that Luna was unstable, not trustworthy, and not the type of person she would socialize with. She would, quote, feed him, and she would feed it, like, because this doesn't make fucking sense. She would feed him, feed a dog. He's flaky, and you can't believe everything he says. So I guess she's saying, like, she'd feed a dog, so why wouldn't she, she feed strays. him? Mm-hmm. She couldn't believe Luna would hurt her. She said she helped him, fed him, and couldn't believe this man would want to hurt her. She said she didn't think Luna even knew she had a roommate. After reviewing the police report of the March 21st incident, Detective Arnold thought the homicide was related to the previous attack. After a visit to the crime scene, Arnold concluded this was a, quote, murder and not a, quote, robbery that turned into a murder. Mm. Stephen had been stabbed numerous times and his penis was cut off, indicating the killing was deliberate. So how do they know that Jimmy took it? 
Took his penis. I guess that comes out later. So he was stabbed 44 times before he was dead and the penis was amputated post-mortem. And Stephen was still wearing his watch and gold necklace, so he wasn't robbed. The house wasn't ransacked and, like, all the electronics and expensive stuff wasn't taken. Mickey was intimidated by detectives who played good cop, bad cop. Uh, I guess this detective real was very mean and told her he didn't like homosexuals. In their request for a search warrant, they wrote that she appeared to not be in physical or emotional distress, though she clearly had been beaten up. Her temperature in the emergency room was 96.2, indicating she was in shock. Mm-hmm. Dr. Marjorie Browd, a psychiatrist whom Marine consulted subsequent of the crime, stated there is no one particular behavior that is appropriate in such situations. It is established that police officers are not qualified to render expert opinions as to what is appropriate emotional response in any given situation. Take notes. A police officer who testifies that a defendant was not as upset he or she should have been at most demonstrates the bias of police officers. And this type of opinion isn't grounded in any scientific analysis. Period. And this doctor remained a staunch supporter of Mickey and a believer in her complete innocence. So the essentially non-existent police investigation was a sh- was a sham. They said there was an inordinate number of phone calls between McDermott and Luna, more than 75% of them having been made by Jimmy Luna. Just as M- Mickey said. Right. She told them he was constantly on the phone, both at work and on his own time, but they never inquired at the workplace to verify this. Phone company employees testified that while it could be determined that a call was placed from one number to another, it couldn't be ascertained who made or received the call or if it was answered by a machine. Now you can. Now you can do all of that. Oh, can they go back and see that now? Probably not. Detective Arnold admitted that he never took any notes at the crime scene and at trial five years later had to rely on his memory for testimony. I'm sure that was very reliable. Dumbass. (laughs) He also stated that he speculated or wondered about various things but never attempted to find the answers to them. Arnold was allowed to testify that there were things that about the crime scene that were unusual or caused him concern, but were in fact meaningless. Uh, He constantly supplied speculation instead of scientific expert testimony. Mm. Police also wrote in their reports that LAPD criminalist Doreen Music had conducted, quote, independent experiments and found that the bathwater would have been too hot for Mickey to have been taking a bath. They're just pulling shit out there. yeah like yeah what do you mean mm, like that it hadn't like had time to cool off like it had just been run or something music testified at luna's preliminary hearing that she thought the bath water was moderately warm and warmer than lukewarm however she didn't take the temperature of the bath water she also testified that she conducted what she herself referred to as crude experiments in her own bathtub Cool. Okay. (laughs) By his own testimony, Detective Arnold admitted that his methods were sloppy and that he was only guessing about various matters 
that he took no notes and that he did not know who did write whatever notes were taken. What the fuck? What did you do then? What what part of your job did you do? Scratched his balls. Showed up. Yeah. Bare minimum. <laughs> so there was a psychiatric evaluation. Mickey's appellate counsel obtained a psychiatric evaluation of Jimmy Luna in 1994 that should have been done by the prosecution and trial counsel, but never was. Hmm. Psychiatrist Dorothy Otnow Lewis determined that Luna had a severe dissociative psychotic disorder. Dr. Lewis stated that one almost never sees this kind of mental illness without a history of extraordinary physical and sexual abuse. She declared that Luna had expressed the intentions of castrating a man long before the murder and mutilation of Stephen Eldridge. She concluded that he murdered Eldridge when Jimmy was becoming increasingly psychotic and out of touch with reality. So Dr. Lewis opined that in Luna's delusional state, he could have misinterpreted a casual remark of McDermott's as evidence that she wanted her roommate killed, or perhaps he simply acted in response to his own delusions or fantasies. Well, because didn't he suggest getting like an insurance policy? Luna did? Or was that- no, her uh, roommate did. Oh, okay. Never mind then. Hang on. Let me see a baby. At trial, Luna testified that Mickey never actually asked him to kill Eldridge, but he just knew. That's what he just knew. That's what she wanted. There was no evidence that she wanted her roommate dead except for those words that came out of his fucking mouth. Dr. Browd said in her declaration, I have looked high and low for any clues of deviant behavior on Mickey's part and found nothing to indicate that Mickey would have done this horrible crime. Luna was arrested on May 30th, 1985 on the basis of an immunized statement by the accomplices, uh, Marvin Lee, and there was another one. I think they were both brothers. Held for 72 hours, then released. He denied involvement. He was arrested again on July 2nd, 1985. Mm -hmm. Luna didn't implicate mickey until july 12 1989 which was more than four years after his arrest when he pled guilty to first degree murder with special circumstances said what amounted to she made me do it and agreed to testify against her wow so the district attorney and detective arnold first debriefed luna when he had not slept in over 24 hours The uh, mater made it clear to Luna that he had to implicate Mickey in order to get a deal. He was given a deal despite the fact that his assertions of Mickey's alleged motive were absurd and crazy. He said her murders were that Stephen yelled at her dogs and that she needed money to send to her mother. Luna told Mater during his initial debriefing that, quote, I always looked at Mickey as being my close friend because when I needed her, she was there. When I needed needed a dime, she was there. So basically, I've been abandoned, you know, my all my life. So anytime I see an opportunity that someone has, I have something to lean on, you know, and it's a mother image or sister image, you know, I feel lucky. Then somebody cares for me. He's making that up. Yeah, delusional. In letting loose his uncontrollable rage on Stephen Eldridge, he believed that In his delusional state of mind, eliminating Stephen Eldridge would prevent Mickey from, quote, abandoning him. So out of the $100,000 insurance money, he said Maureen was going to give him half. 
Whatever. In his dream. Right. Another time he said she was going to give him 75 grand. He said Mickey wanted it to look like a, quote, homosexual murder so that police wouldn't bother to investigate it. When asked to explain the difference between a homosexual murder and a heterosexual murder, Linda said he didn't know. (laughs) Linda testified that Mickey had an insurance policy and she wanted Steve dead. But he never asked her why because he knew why. Mm. He said that she resented Eldridge hollering at her pen, pe- fucking a, hollering at her pets. Also, she wanted him dead because he was fixing up the house to try to sell it. Linda jumped from story to story on the witness stand, basically. Hmm. When he was in LA County Jail, Jimmy had a lover, Randy Howard, who was represented by attorney Joe Ingber. Jimmy tried to hire Ingber, but later testified that Ingber was trying to get appointed to defend him. And when that didn't happen, he was subsequently hired by Mickey's friend to defend her. A friend, John Porkola, collected the money and acted as a liaison to Ingber, paid Ingber in cash, but kept no records. However, she remembered that she had paid him a total of 58 grand of which Mickey contributed 12 grand. Hmm. And then this attorney Ingber didn't tell McDermott, Mickey or her friends that he had a prior relationship with Jimmy Luna. In fact, he denied it. However, he didn't deny visiting Luna in jail to quote, hold his hand. What? And the prosecutor knew all of this conflict of interest, but did nothing to tell the court. So attorney Ingbert didn't investigate the case prior to trial and paid no attention to the investigation that was done after the trial was well underway. He failed to demand a psychiatric evaluation of Luna. He failed to hire a criminalist to evaluate the crime scene. He had no theory of defense. He didn't speak to any witnesses before the trial. He just spoke to some witnesses in a group in the courthouse cafeteria immediately before the trial began. While he was pursuing court appointment to defend Mickey, he lied to the court about the amount he was paid by her friends in order to maximize the amount he would receive from the court. He failed to call as witnesses Mickey's friends who had paid him because to have done so would bring the court's attention to the payments, the truth about the payments that were already made to him. The first time Mickey met her attorney was in the courtroom at her arraignment. He told her he was too busy to work on her case and he hired another attorney, Carl Burkow, to work on it. What a piece of shit. Between January 10th, 1986 and May 1989, this attorney, Ingbert, did absolutely nothing to earn 58 grand in cash and all he did was request a total of 27 continuances. Wow. Lazy motherfucker. He told Mickey that the longer the trial was delayed, the better it would be because witnesses would die or forget. What the fuck? Right. Mickey told him that she didn't want people to die or forget what happened. And then he told her he was very busy and she would just have to wait. And then... She was on trial for murder. Right. None of the judges... ever asked Mickey if she was concerned about the delays or the fact that her attorneys were not doing any work on her case. Ingber never showed her any police reports or witness statements. He never discussed with her what the case was all about. 
So, investigator Bob Zink was hired in May 1989, which was 40 months after the arraignment. He said his impression that no investigation of any kind had ever been done. He had no idea Mickey had been in custody since August 1985, and he recalled that one day he was surprised to find out the trial had already started. At no time did Ingber or Burkow ever discuss any theory of the case with Zink. The investigator further declared he believed Mickey was the victim of the most egregiously incompetent representation. Mm. Maureen asked her attorney when he was going to prepare her to testify, and he told her he didn't have time for that. What the fuck? Just wow. before she got on the witness stand, she asked him what kind of questions the prosecutor would ask, and he said, how the hell should I know what she's going to ask you? I'm not clairvoyant. <laughs> Dumb fucker, you're an attorney. They ask standard questions. Ingber didn't do any penalty phase investigation until after she was convicted. He didn't call any of her friends or co-workers, many of whom had actually been called as witnesses. The prosecutor told the jury it was interesting, was it not, that not one of her friends showed up to testify on her behalf, but it's her fucking attorney's fault. After the guilty verdict was read, Detective Real and the prosecutor were seen snickering at a note Real had written on a legal pad and passed to... Ingber, it said, thanks, Joe, we couldn't have done it without you. Wow. What a Which is bitch. like, thanks for being such a shitty attorney. Couldn't have done it without you, man. So, there were accusations of misconduct and unprofessional lawyering ha- that have followed the fucking prosecutor throughout her career. Like, Marvin Lee, the guy who was given complete immunity for his testimony. The prosecutor learned more than a year later that Marvin had lied about the fact that his brother had also helped to kill Eldridge. Mm -hmm. And her response wasn't to rescind the immunity deal, but rather to extend the immunity to his brother for having committed a capital murder. Wow. So this... Prosecutor Bader told Luna it would have been racist to offer a deal to to Mickey, and therefore this was Luna's opportunity to help her go after a white woman. So this prosecutor also used Mickey's bank records as proof she killed for the insurance because alleged she was she was broke and needed money. Some checks had bounced in 1984, and I guess that was enough motive to kill somebody. Mm. Mm. So, in conclusion, Maureen McDermott's fate was sealed by the confluence of a psychotic killer. The fucking prosecutor was an ambitious liar, wasn't shy about committing misconduct in her zeal to win at all costs, and by a defense attorney who willingly put his own interests ahead of his client in pursuit of a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Clear. So, she was obviously sentenced to death. And on April 8th, 2004, she wrote a statement saying, I need help. My name is Maureen McDermott, but my friends call me Mickey. My life has been stolen away from me by the horrific violence and insane lies of Jimmy Luma, Luna, whom I once thought was that worst a pest. 
Never did I imagine that he would steal the life of my friend Stephen Eldridge, then lie and steal my life too, but that's what he did. Did he go to jail? Yeah. But he only got a life, excuse me, because he confessed. Mm. My case was fabricated from police and prosecutorial misconduct. My trial was a travesty. My incompetent lawyer did no investigation and presented no defense. And I'm on death row for a crime I did not commit. A crime I knew nothing about. A crime I would never have wanted to happen had I ever known or suspected it was going to happen. I had excellent attorneys for my post-conviction appeal, and now I have excellent attorneys for federal habeas. What I need now most is public support. I need favorable publicity. I need people to be informed of how I was unjustly convicted and how three brutal murderers avoided punishment in return for their perjured testimony that made me out to be a cold-blooded killer. I need people on my team to influence public opinion, to convince people of my innocence, and to work for my release. I need your help. I am completely innocent. Please help me to prove it. Respectfully, Maureen Mickey McDermott. Hmm. When did she write that? Uh, in 2004. Mm. Yeah. And she's still on death row? Yeah. In where? In California. I mean, Jimmy was obviously psychotic. I don't think she helped plan. Mm-mm. That's my opinion. Well, he was definitely had some sort of mental, and like he was off balance for sure. Definitely had some delusions. Yeah, I mean, he was just uh, diagnosed with that extreme dissociative mm-hmm. psychotic personality disorder. Kevin has a post-it stuck to his foot. Man. Yeah. So, there's lots of kittens at my house right now. There's seven kittens at your house right now. Did we talk about the pregnant cat on the last episode? I don't remember. Kevin's mom. Yes, Kevin's mom, Amanda's kitty. Did we talk about Kevin? I think so. Okay. So, yeah, we did talk about it. So, the pregnant rescue, the surprise pregnancy, she gave birth. And they're so fucking cute. They're two weeks old right now. There's seven of them. There's seven. Seven kittens. It's crazy. So fucking cute. Those fucking local, those signs that are around everywhere. In Kansas City. That say, quote, forced auction. Forced auction. What is a forced auction? It's got to be like they committed a crime and their assets are being like liquidated or something. I don't know, but forced auction. Rolexes, Picassos, like dollies. They said there's a Rembrandt. Like, who the fuck was this person? Yeah. There's got to be a museum. That's fucking crazy. Mm hmm. In other words, the property is selling at auction because of a court order. Criming. Mm-hmm. Someone's been criming. Well, the number on the signs was a St. Louis number. Interesting. So, it was in person. Let me look. Kansas City forced auction. Oh, my God. Those fucking power alarms. Oh, you're still going off? I can't hear it. But there was hundreds of signs all over the city. <laughs> if you went, let us know what you got. I want to go, but I'm sure like they probably run a credit check or something, or at least a background check. No. And it was today at one. Oh fuck! Mm-hmm. Damn it! 
<laughs> as if I was going to buy anything. As if you were going to go. You had to call <laughs> and reserve your space anyway. Oh, my God. Well, I could have met a very rich man, okay? Damn it. Maybe. It was socially distanced, so you never know. I could have made sexy eyes. Shoot. I'll buy me that Dali. The older lady in Chanel. <laughs> Speaking of corruption, on Monday, we learned from our national intelligence that Russia is once again meddling in our democracy. Wow. You may recall Robert Mueller laid out in no uncertain terms that Russia interfered in our 2016 elections. Mueller indicated 13 Russian operatives driving home the point of their interference. He also warned that Russia was continuing its sweeping and systematic efforts to undermine our democracy to the benefit of their candidate, Donald J. Trump. Mm -hmm. The New York Times reported that ahead of the 2020 election, foreign states will continue to use covert and overt influence measures in their attempts to sway U.S. voters' preferences and perspectives to shift U.S. policies, increase discord in the United States, and undermine the American people's confidence in our democratic processes. Also this week, Forbes broke the story that Jared Kushner, who is Trump's son-in-law, had been speaking regularly, almost daily, with Kanye West since the tweet that Kanye put out declaring he was running for president. Quote, regular conversations between the head of one presidential campaign and an opposing candidate looks like coordination and is highly irregular. Depending on what they're talking about, they may be breaking campaign finance laws. Hmm. Isn't Kim a lawyer? <laughs> so Shouldn't she know this? <laughs> if Kushner has explicitly or implicitly requested or recommended that West spend money on his candidacy with the motivation of having West siphon votes from Joe Biden, then Kushner has arguably violated federal law by soliciting in-kind contributions from West to Trump in excess of the applicable $2,000 contribution limit. Probably just will donate a bunch of Yeezys. Right. And uh, <laughs> so Kanye's already spent well over $2,000 for example, a $35,000 filing fee to the state of Oklahoma to have his name on the ballot. That's the only place that still has his name on the ballot because he had to get, I want to say it was like only something like 25,000 signatures to get on a ballot. And in his own home town, in his home state in Chicago, he was busted for fraudulent signatures, like fake names, people who didn't live in the state, people who, just more than half of the signatures were, uh, they False couldn't fine. be used. They just couldn't be used. So, um, uh, that's actually a crime. He could face up to three years in prison, but who knows? I wonder if like anyone will indict him for that. Oh, right. Also, the Golden State Killer, this is according to Orange County Register, the Golden State Killer is to return to Sacramento next week to face dozens of his surviving victims and the family and friends of those 
he killed in a series of hearings that are expected to culminate in his sentencing. Oh, shit. You need to watch I'll Be Gone in the Dark because, Mm -hmm. uh, ooh, it's so fucking good and it's so just, like, heart-wrenching for multiple reasons. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pieces that, well, and especially the work Michelle put into it and where she left off, it's it's interesting. Ugh. Uh, do you have anything? Uh, I had a shower thought. I like who the fuck is Grimes? She's uh pregnant. She's a Canadian singer. She had Elon Musk's kid. I know that. Oh, but they like, had the baby. She... Yeah, and I was looking up earlier. They met on Twitter because of some joke she made. I don't. It's interesting, right? And I guess Tesla's low on cash. Yes, they are. They've been doing bad. So. That's all I have. Literally not a new thing has occurred. We're all just hanging in there, I hope. I want to recommend something to the people that has been bringing me joy because there's only so many podcasts you can listen to or it's just like I've caught up on all my podcasts so then it's like, hmm, let me listen to some music. Well, I've started just like listening to random different like playlists and stuff that are curated on Apple and one of them was Disco Essentials. So I started like doing research on some disco. And I found out that disco was actually like originated as like a live DJ. And it was like just like all live thing. And it was just music that was just like created for dancing. And then eventually like Diana Ross, Donna Summer, all these like big you know, names like they were the big club hits and stuff in the mid seventies. And then in like the late seventies, there was like a huge disco boom. And that's when like, it kind of was commercialized Mm -hmm. by like Rolling Stones had a song, fucking Blondie had a song, like all this commercial trash. So if you're going to listen to disco, make sure you listen to the real underground shit. And obviously it's, a genre of music that was because discos were very underground at the time mm-hmm. before studio 54. It was, and obviously I'm saying this to white people, disco was for people by black people. And then eventually there was this huge campaign by, cause it took over the radio. So these classic rock stations had been taken over by disco and there was kind of like the dixie chicks thing like people got mad there was like a disco destroy night i think at dodger stadium and it's like obviously that's fucking just like racism and that pushed disco like back underground but in a different way where like they started having warehouse parties and that's where house music Hmm. derived interesting so yeah, I was like, oh my god. So I've been like listening to fucking Disco House, which I never liked before, but once I realized how similar, I was like, oh my god. Yeah. But yeah, if you want to disco music, you can't go wrong. It's going to make you feel good. I like it. Yeah, it makes you move. It makes you feel good or horny, depending on who you're listening to. And what you're doing. Well, we've been on here for an hour. Man. Oh, sounds like there's little dogs getting pissed outside. Probably. There's a bunch of little dogs that live here. Alrighty. Well, thank you for listening. We'll catch you later. Catch you later. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.